Good morning, and it is good to have the privilege to open up the Word of God with you this morning. The title of my sermon, and usually, as Jacob has said, titles are kind of the last thing that you do, you throw in, and, uh, but I thought this was a good title for this text. I'll be preaching uh, out of uh, 1 uh, Ephesians 7 through 10. In this idea of the mystery revealed. And I just wanted to, to make a note before I read the text that obviously to us, we are looking at the whole of Scripture. And we are not unaware of this revealed mystery. But I want you to think for those who maybe were in Galatia or Ephesus or these smaller churches throughout Asia Minor, what did they know of this gospel, this mystery revealed. And I think the, the tension that they would have, uh, particularly the Gentiles, who are being pressured at times to come back to the Jewish way of thinking and to live under the law, but yet Paul is showing them this mystery has been revealed, and it's open to all. Let me read, starting in uh, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we would just ask that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding and, Lord, also conviction and encouragement as your word goes forth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And this morning, I want to, for us to see the beauty and the purpose of of the revealed mystery, which is the plan of God to redeem man through Christ in order to have fellowship with him, but not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles as well. And we get a glimpse of a plan that wasn't contrived out of fear or out of what do I do, but God had a plan even before the foundations of the world. In fact, we see in Genesis 3, the, in 3.15, that there is a, a plan that is starting. That the offspring, offspring of Eve is going to crush the head of Satan. And eventually this offspring would conquer death on the cross. This was the first glance of the redemptive plan that is unfolded throughout the Bible. Before the foundations of the world, God had a plan. After the fall of man, we see this, and then we see it unveiled. And in Paul's letter, we see the unveiling to the church. This mystery has been made known to them. In Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, there are three things that I want to see linked together. And the way that I want to present this is 
the main theme is the gospel revealed. And then there's, there would be part A and part B. So the middle of my, my middle point is the gospel revealed. The first point is the redemption of mankind. And then part B, or the second point, which would be my third point, is the u- unity in Christ and how he unifies. So this is, this here we go. This is, I hope, if you want to take notes, it's just think redemption, mystery, and unity. And then I'll, I'll let you know where we're at in those points. Can you tell I'm married to a school teacher? <laughs> here we go. First, the redemption in Christ. Redeemed means to pay for or purchase and set free. Maybe some of you remember green stamps. How many of you ever remember green stamps? Your parents go into the store and you would get these stamps. And, and then you would have these little booklets. And, and once you filled out this booklet with all these stamps, you would go to a redemption center. That's what they called them. There was a store and it had all these different items and so you would go in, depending on how many books you had filled out, um, that that was of value, and that was your payment. You go in, and if you wanted to buy a toaster, you would see, okay, how many stamps do I need? I have, yes, I have enough. And you would come, and you would redeem or purchase that product. And I remember early on in uh, my pastoral training, a, a pastor had given me that illustration, and it has never left the idea of a payment. Paul probably in his time, in the Romans' time, they would have understood this from the, the buying of slaves. Sometimes there would be people who would come and they would buy slaves. They would pay that price. They would redeem them. And then they would set them free. So this is where we get this idea or this word of redemption. And if we look back at what Jacob has already preached Uh, particularly in verses 3 through 6, we can see the benefits of this redemption or being redeemed. We are blessed, it says, with a spiritual blessing. We are made holy and blameless. We are adopted as sons, and we are in the beloved. But there was a price that had to be paid in order to enjoy the blessings and the privileges of of our redemption, and it was costly. We understand that all men are being held captive under the chains of sin and of the law. The one who does not know the law cannot save himself from sin, can do nothing, nor can the one who knows the law, and he tries to fulfill it, but he always will fall short. He cannot pay the price that it costs to be freed from the law and from sin and from death. But here is the good news. There is one, and there is only one, who is able to fulfill the law and did not sin. Jesus Christ. Romans 7, 15 states, but the free gift is not like the trespass. 
For if many die through one man's trespass, Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. There is only one way, and there is only one person who can redeem us. And I talked about the cost or the payment to atone for our sins and our trespasses must be paid in what? All you Leviticus studiers, <laughs> what is it that we're talking about? It must be played in blood. It must be paid in blood. When we look at the word atonement, somebody asked about this yesterday, and this is, this is what atonement is. To make payment that satisfies an account as to be paid in full. So Christ's sacrifice satisfied God for our debt of sin and death. And he set us free. I know you have heard this many, many times. But there's one phrase that, that, that I think I want you to ponder this week. And it's found in Ephesians over and over again. Riches in grace. Riches in grace. When we think about riches, you know, if we think it in a monetary term, that people have more than an abundance of uh, cash in their bank accounts and in their investments. Or you see maybe a person with a pile of cash just throwing it up. It's like, there's more than I know what to do with. Think of God's grace. It's more than what we need. It is abundant. It is riches beyond measure. When we understand the holiness of God and the depravity of man, and the chasm is not this big, but it is beyond what we can even see, and Christ fills in that chasm through his blood, it is grace-filled. It is grace-filled. We should rejoice in the goodness of God. Number two, the mystery revealed through Christ. So we have redemption through Christ, but this mystery that is revealed through Christ. In verse 9, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, which he, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Notice some words here. His will, his purpose, a plan. These are words of intention and fortitude and drive. God has always had a plan. I want to do something, if you would allow me for a moment. I have worked with children and youth for years, and so sometimes I just like to illustrate, what, uh, to, to get an idea of, of the point that I'm trying to make. So we're going to go on a little bus tour. Carson's going to provide us a bus. 
In fact, we'll let him drive. And we're going to make sure that all the Brads, and you know who you are, are going to sit in the front because you get distracted. We're going to have Chris keep an eye on you guys. So we're on this bus, and we're going to take a tour. We're going to do just a quick highlight of the, the plan of redemption through time in the Old Testament to the New Testament. And obviously, we are going to skip over many, many things, but I want you to get an idea or a sense that there was a plan, and this plan was being unveiled throughout time. As I had mentioned in Genesis, we see the fall of man, and then we see this in 315, and I like this word, proto-euangelion, the first mention of evangelism, a hope that, that there's going to be uh, a possibility of man getting out of this plight. And then we, we come by and we see Noah building an ark. And, and we see the wickedness of humanity and God's uh, maybe regret of making man, but we see this wickedness, but yet he still saves humanity through Noah and his children. And then we come to Abraham and we see God plucks out of the, the Iranians one man, nothing special, didn't do anything great, but he chooses this man and says, you know what, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And he gives him righteousness not based on his works or what he's done, but on what? Faith. And then we come and we see Moses. We see his plan that God had given to Moses to bring his people out. What a great story of people who are enslaved who are now going to be set free. And we see that, that he, is, he frees them and Moses brings them out and he gives them a, the law. And they're little naughty rascals for 40 years. They can't get it right. Even the priest can't get it right. But yet there is an image that we have of a people that God loves, of a, a means and a way through the priesthood to commune with, with God. And that God wants to have fellowship with his people, but he can't if they are sinful. Getting an idea, seeing this unfold, this plan. We see Aaron and his, his sons as the priest, as a conduit uh, to God, and then eventually we'll see the ultimate perfect high priest, which is Christ. We go through um, the kings, the book of Kings and Chronicles and Samuel, and we see Saul and David and the other kings who represent royalty and kingship and how the people bring honor and, and praise to the kings to teach us how to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then after that 400 years of silence in the Old Testament, we come to the New Testament. And Emmanuel comes. But Emmanuel comes in humility as a babe to show us how we are to come to Christ in humility. And then Jesus grows up, and he starts a ministry. He calls 
unqualified men to come and to start a movement. And then we see Jesus in his ministry as he ministers and heals people, not only to Israelites, but also to Gentiles as well. And then we start coming into the ministry of Paul, and we see that Paul is commissioned to preach the gospel to all people regardless of race. And then finally, where we land here in Ephesians, and you'll find this in other of Paul's letters, that Paul proclaims equality is not in ethnicity, but it is in faith and repentance for the glory of God. All of Scripture is directing us to Jesus Christ, who is the unifier of all things, both heaven and earth. Part A of the plan revealed is redemption of man. Part B is bringing all people, all nations who have faith in Christ together. And we're going to see just in a second how this culminates together. So this is the second part, the mystery revealed of uniting all believers. In fact, if we look in two chapters uh, in chapter 3, verse 6, we see this mystery unveiled even more. It's pretty clear here. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul writes in Romans 15 about the hope of Gentiles. And again I say, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who rises to the rule to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I would say that probably 99% of us are Gentiles here. That that message, this message here in Ephesians, is wonderful for us. And over the last 2,000 years, we have seen the gospel unveiled all around the world. And today, it is still being preached all around the world. And there are missionaries who are trying to get to every tribe and every nation and every uh, people-speaking group to hear the gospel message because then the end will come. You youngsters probably don't enjoy the thought of heaven as much as us old people. (laughs) But it is a beautiful thing. And so I want to whet your appetite this morning and see that there is a, a, a day coming. There is a, a bringing together, a culmination of all those who believe in Christ. It's a day that we are looking forward to. My question is, are you ready? Are you ready for that day? I want to take us to Revelation. And John is writing here in chapter 7, 
verses 9 and 10. This is what we can hope for. This is what excites me. Starting with verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying aloud in a voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In this text, we see the finality of the mystery revealed. It is the uniting of all believers from all nations because of the work of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice and through his authority. And mostly important, because of his grace and love for us. This unity is possible. He has united all things together for the praise and for the glory of our great God. As we come in our local churches, this is what we are preparing for. This is what we're doing. We're being educated on God's word, and our emotions are being challenged to celebrate with whole heart in anticipation of God's or Christ's coming and eventually all of us together. I've got a few applications that I, I want to, to give to us. And I want uh, them to be of encouragement. I don't know if you have noticed, but the world seems to be a mess right now, especially in our country. There, there is not the stability that there was, if there ever really was any stability. But things are in turmoil. Things are changing. We don't know if we're going to continue to live this way. Are we going to wear masks forever? Are we going to isolate and have social distancing? What does our economy look like? What does um, all these entities in our life look like? And it seems chaotic. And I know there's many people who are working at home or, or are somewhat isolated, and there is anxiety and depression and so many things that are happening. And we look, and if we hope, and like, you know, whoever gets elected, that's going to be great, and I'm going to love it because it's all going to work out my way. But it doesn't always work that way. The world is in calamity. Focus on the kingdom of God for a moment. And I want you to think, God has a plan. There is a plan. God is not unaware of what you're going through or what we're going through. He has a plan, and I want you to take courage in knowing that. The peace, the comfort, the hope is not found in the next president. It's not found in any politician or any great new innovative thing that the, the nerds out in California put together so that we can spend more money. But it's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in his blood that he has sacrificed for us and gave us new life. The second uh, thing I want to encourage you with is that you are not alone. 
God has redeemed his people and the church. Through Christ, we are united in him with each other. And as Grace Bible Church is starting, we want to foster and constantly remind of the unity and the love that we need towards each other. Later on in verse or chapter 4, Paul's going to say, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We find comfort in each other. We find comfort in our struggles. We find comfort in our successes. Let's be encouraging together. Let's be graceful towards one another as we, as Christ is graceful towards us. And then finally, I will close with this. A long time ago, I read uh, John Milton, Paradise Lost, and I was there was a particular um, verse in Paradise Lost that I was trying to find. And I must have got the old version because it's very in what would be uh, modern English, I think. But it's, it's kind of hard to read. So I must have read an easier version. Or I must have been really smart when I was in high school. There is a, there is a phrase in here. And it, it's kind of, you have to, when you read uh, Milton like this, you have to kind of start thinking in the words and the ways, because he doesn't use words quite the way we do. But it just so touched me, and I found this, and it so touched me. This, this would be a conversation between God and Jesus before he is, uh, descended uh, as, a, as a babe. And, and there's this quote here, and this is about man and mankind and their dilemma. And a lot of Milton at the beginning is talking about the disparity of man. Happy for man, so coming, he, her, aid can never seek, once dead in sins and lost. Atonement for himself or offering to meet, indebted, undone, hath none to bring. This is Jesus. Behold me then, me for him or man. Life for life, I offer On me let thy anger fall. Account me man. I for the sake will leave thy bosom in this glory next to thee freely put off and for him lastly die. Well pleased on me let death wreck his reign. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew the cost and the sin that he would bear for man. In the giving up of being together with God in heaven, he humbled himself as a babe and came and died for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder Jesus paid it all all to him we owe you are our redeemer and we 
are thankful that you have brought us together and unified us with you and with other believers. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.